0: Christmas season we've been um talking about um, I'm gonna move this forward, and fall. um we've been uh in the the book at the book of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 9 and I want to read a section of that to you this morning um to kind of reintroduce us or re-engage us in this scripture the people walking in darkness, have seen a great light. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light, a light has dawned. For to us, for to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Thank you Jesus. Man government needs some help. And he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty god, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus was promised to come as a wonderful counselor. One who walks alongside. One who holds uh, the lantern in the midst of the darkness of every step that we take, revealing not the entire path of the journey or the season that we're in, uh, but but merely bringing us comfort and light to take the next step. Jesus comes as that comforting, tender, kind figure to illuminate that next step. But Jesus also comes, as Isaiah says, not just as a wonderful counselor, but as a mighty God, wrapped up Within all that he is and all that he does, he exudes and glorifies the full might and power of God. And if you remember, we uh, talked about how um, Jesus, Jesus plays, he doesn't play, he is that perfect balance in the moments uh, where we need that wonderful counselor. Someone who is gentle and kind ...ministers to us out of gentleness and compassion, mercy and grace. And he is also mighty, holding within his very words the mightiness of God. Every every bit of authority of heaven wrapped up in who he is in the present... ...but also who he will become in the future. Of course, we read out of Revelation chapter 19... That week, and the coming of Jesus as the mighty God, and then last week, understanding what it what, what what it means to to call God to call Jesus everlasting. That when all all of life seems to be um, a shifting shadow, like Isaiah says, when 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 all of life, or when you have the you have the tendency to. Um, put your feet down on something and not know if the water will rise high enough to wash out the ground from underneath your feet. That, that Jesus, Jesus is everlasting. He is a, a rock on which we can stand. That when the streams of life rise, the rain of life comes down, the wind of life blows, that we have a steady and strong everlasting place to set our feet That he does not change, that he does not shift, that when all of life is in limbo, God is one that we can rely on. God is one that we may trust in. He is everlasting from beginning to end. We come to this time of uh, this last description of Jesus in the book of Isaiah As a prince of peace. Uh, A description that may be foreign to some of us, maybe, maybe really familiar uh, to some of us. Uh, And there are some distinctions that are important for us to make when we talk about Jesus as the Prince, the Prince of Peace. I think um, we we all may understand the difference between someone who can get angry under the right circumstances and conditions and someone whom we would describe as an angry person do you understand the difference there someone who given the right given the circumstances Given uh, maybe what is happening in their life, given the given the, the experience or the situation that they're currently in, right? Um, that that their their attitude, their demeanor, they they become angry about something. In fact. The scripture describes Jesus as becoming angry with the religious leaders, becoming angry in the temple one day, um, and displaying that anger in a way that is indicative of some situational stuff going on where he went from one attitude to another, right? He got angry. And so I think we all have this, like, this understanding of how a person can get angry based on the circumstances of life. But we all may know, in fact, it might be you. It might be someone you live with, it might be a co-worker, or we all we all know someone that we might describe as not just a person who gets angry situationally and circumstantially on rare occasion, but someone whom we would describe as just a flat-out angry person. Everything the, the way in which they approach life in every relationship, every tense situation, every calm situation, every interaction, everything. They they approach it under a spirit of skepticism, criticism, anger, bitterness, hardness of heart. So there's situational anger and there is deeply rooted in the character of who I am in this moment type of anger. And what I, wanted, what, what I want you to understand is that when we talk about Jesus as Prince of Peace, we're not talking about um, a Jesus that Scripture describes simply as um, uh, a, a Savior who is peaceful situationally. Only when He needs to be only when the situation or the circumstances or the experience dictate it. But we're talking but when scripture talks about Jesus as the prince of peace, it talks about someone who has rooted in the very character of who he is peace. It's not it's not passing, it's not circumstantial, it's not situational that you will that you will never experience a Jesus you will never experience Jesus apart from him being Prince of Peace. Isaiah, in his, um, in his words to the Israelite people, describes the type of peace that the Messiah brings as something that is much, much more significant than just the changing of circumstances. In fact, in uh, verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9, what we already read this morning, it describes the peace that he brings as something that will last forever. That is eternal. It's almost a part of his everlasting nature. At the end of verse 6, um, the prophet Isaiah says, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in verse 7, of the increase of his government and his peace, God bless you, <laughs> there will what? There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on, forever and ever. Amen. That that the peace of God does not rest circumstantially in who Jesus is, but that wrapped up in who he is by nature and by character, it lasts forever. Peace, peace in all of its forms in Jesus' life, is rooted not in the circumstances that the Messiah brings, but it's rooted in who the Messiah is. Peace is not a circumstance that we experience, peace is, is, not a, is not a feeling that we have. Peace is not an attitude with which we approach life. Peace is a person, and that person is Jesus. Peace is a person, and the person is Jesus. Jesus was not afraid even to declare this to those, one, his followers, but also those who would Listen to his teaching. The apostle Paul said it the very same uh, said it the very same way. So, as a, uh, just to give a, a couple examples on uh, when his when he was describing when Jesus was describing to his disciples that he was going to be uh, he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be arrested, that he was going to be tried uh, and crucified. And that uh, he was going to die, but don't worry. Um, God was, uh, the, the Holy Spirit of God was going to resurrect him. And he was just, he was laying it all out for his disciples. Not leaving anything left unsaid. Trying to give them a super clear picture of the path going forward. And of course... As was uh, typical or prototypical of uh, the disciples' relationship with Jesus, they had a hard time understanding, as I think uh, most of us would. Uh, but Jesus tries to assure them in a moment where they feel like circumstances are, are, are turning into chaos. Like, like Jesus, no, we, we, we're not going to let this happen to you, Jesus, Jesus. This can't happen. You can't leave. You can't die. I don't have any idea what, what resurrection means. So stop talking about all that. But like they're just going on and on and on and on. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And Jesus in that moment, reading the room, loving those who are following him, offers to them the, um, the hope and the affirmation that they can be at peace not because the circumstances are going to change not because jesus is going to take the circumstances that are throwing them into chaos and he's going to change them so that they match his disciples comfort level but what he says to them he's like look i have something that i'm going to give you to help you get through this right it's not the changing of your circumstances. It's not a different way of working this all out. What I give to you is my peace. John chapter 14. He says, Jesus says, peace. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Thank you, Vinny. My peace. My peace. Not the world's peace. Not circumstantial peace. Not, the, not, 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 not throwing water on the fire of circumstances in your life. But my peace I give to you. I give to you my peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It doesn't end there, though. Later in chapter sixteen, where uh, Jesus is describing how uh, Jesus is describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit that will come and, and not just be a walk alongside guide, but will indwell by faith everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. He has this little um, section at the end of chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things. I have told you all of these things. In the midst of all your fear, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the crisis that that you think you are in, I have told you these things so that in what? In me. In me you may have peace. Not in circumstance, not in the hope that something will get better, not in the promise that something will, will get better, but that, but that that me in my, in my person, that, that me being with you, that the, that the Holy Spirit indwelling every inch, every nook and cranny, every dark shadow, every corner of the crisis of your life, that, that, that me, my peace, I will give to you. You are in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And it is not just something that, that, that Jesus affirmed, and if it was, that would be enough, right? It's not just something that Jesus affirmed, but, but Paul, but Paul himself continued to remind, his churches. In fact, in the, the, the church of Ephesus, he wrote a letter, and then he said that that, that the peace of Jesus moves um, moves so strongly in the life of the believer that it that the peace of Jesus has the power to unite. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 he says this about jesus for he he himself he himself not not what he does not what he not what he produces not what he fixes in your life not what not the circumstances that he realigns so that you feel better about what's going on but he he himself, his very presence living in you in the power of the Holy Spirit, he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That Jesus himself is our peace. I told you I was going to, have to take it off. It's like, it's like gr- made out of grandma's wool socks. <laughs> now I promised I wouldn't preach my normal um, time frame this morning because the kids have been uh, working hard to uh, to uh, be up here. And so I I don't have, um, I don't have a lot more to say, but I do have um, a few things that I want to draw our attention to this morning. And Lord, would you just be, would you just fill, Lord, every word, would you fill every breath, Father, with your Holy Spirit? That if we have come this morning feeling anything but at peace, feeling anything but the guiding presence of, your, of, of you, Jesus, of you yourself as our peace, Lord, may you change us this morning. Oftentimes, um, people will say that the opposite of peace is war, and I think in some circumstances and situations that would be that would be normal or correct to think of peace and war like that as 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 opposites. And um, some of us, uh, some of us, honestly, don't know anything other than a life of war. We don't, we, don't know, we don't. know. anything other than the fight. Anything other than the struggle. We've. Um, we. I think sometimes have been. We. We become so accustomed to fighting against life. So. So. So accustomed to feel like we're dragging a heavy sled uphill all the time so accustomed to fighting against life that we forget we have become unaware, or maybe, just maybe, no one has, has ever stopped to tell us that there is another way other than fighting. That there is another way. That, that there, there is another way to walk through life. There is another another path to travel down. Uh, Jesus says in the book of Matthew, he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he uses this this term, this phrase that has been largely lost on a non-agrarian culture, right? Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart. He uses this word yoke. Not the thing that's in the middle of your egg. Right? But this thing that they, that they would put on um, like a, an ox or a bull or um, a donkey or a horse. Something similar. But it, it wasn't just a, a yoke is not just for a single animal a yoke usually is meant to tie two animals together so that so that they that they they are linked together at the head and can one can't pull independently of the other without them moving in unison and and so so many of us have been carrying the yoke of war upon our shoulders and over our head for so long that we Forget, or have become unaware or have never been told that there's actually another spot in that yoke that someone is meant to carry with it. And what Jesus says is like, look, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will be your peace. Take my yoke upon you. Enter into the other hole of the yoke that I am wearing. Walk with me. We're still going to be plowing the field together. We're still going to be walking through the circumstances together. We're not rearranging the circumstances of life so that it more fully like it more fully describes or lines up with what you think it should be. But we are going to do it together. There is this two fantastic stories from the Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew that I will highlight for us, um, and then we'll welcome our kids up here. But it so, I think, aptly uh, describes how we have been um, so entirely consumed with the idea that the only way to walk in life is to fight the war of life. And indeed, um, we we don't ignore the one promise of scripture that we already read this morning out of John chapter 14, that in this world you will have trouble. Right? We're not ignoring that. But what we are saying is that is that when we walk with Jesus, when our when our, our focus remains on our partnership with the person of jesus not just the byproduct of jesus then then our perspective around circumstances changes And in matthew chapter 14 we have this awesome story that i'm i'm assuming that most of you know because we use it even culturally of people that we think are just like so awesome we'd say well oh man he could just walk on water right basically he can do is wrong well we have this experience or this Uh, story here Matthew 14 uh, starting at verse 22 it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat go on ahead of him to the other side he dismissed the crowd and after he dismissed the crowd um, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray and when evening came he was there alone but the boat with all his disciples in it was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it and during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. In the midst of the fear of their life, right? Right? In the midst of the moment where they could not, they they did not understand what they were seeing, they didn't know what was ahead of them, they didn't have any idea what was going on, their immediate reaction was fear. And Jesus' immediate response to their fear was, Take courage, I'm gonna fix it all. No, take courage, I'm here. It's I. It was about Himself, right? He Himself is our peace. Take courage, it is I. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat. We all know the story. Walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I mean, probably the most interesting, one of the most interesting things about this, um, this story for me is what Jesus didn't say. And what Jesus didn't do. And it's an unfair question um, to ask, well, what, what didn't Jesus do? That's an unfair question um, for you to guess. So I'm just gonna tell you, what didn't Jesus do in this moment? He called Peter out on to the water, but what he didn't do was say, okay, waves, waves, calm down. Wind. Shut it off. Shut it off. Rain, stop for a minute. Just hold on. Um, Peter's really got to concentrate here. And uh, we really need him to walk on water. Uh, The reality of the situation here is that, is that, that Jesus does not call us to come to him in the midst of circumstances that he has perfectly created for our comfort but he allows the wind to blow he allows the waves to crash he allows the rain to continue to come down because the peace in the middle of the storm is not that the circumstances are exactly as we would like them to be the peace in the middle of the storm is not what's around us but who calls us it's him and when Peter, right, when Peter stepped out onto the boat in full assurance of Jesus' presence there with him, eyes locked directly on, on, on Jesus the entire time, he, there, there, there was no other thing that he was worried about except the fact that he was walking towards the man who told him to come, right? But what the scripture says is what? As soon as Peter saw the wind saw the waves, right? right. Was aware again of the dire circumstances of his life when he took his eyes off the fact that his circumstances were not perfect and took them off of Jesus, right? He immediately sunk. And that in the midst of our crisis, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our battle, In the midst of our war, Jesus calls us not to pursue the perfection of our circumstances in order to have peace. Jesus simply calls us to Himself. Peter, come to me. Take courage. It is I. The winds. The waves, the rain, ah, it is I. Come to me, Peter. And maybe, maybe you've always been told, right? Always, 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 always been told, right? That, man, I just don't, I just don't feel like I can, I don't, like, man, I just see the wind and waves in my life, and I just don't, I just don't feel like I can, Walk to Jesus in confidence. I don't feel like I rise above those circumstances and kind of like do the proverbial walk on water and um, and circumstance. It's because every time we take our eyes off Jesus, every time we take our eyes off Jesus, we um, we are subject to our circumstance, period. I wish it were more theologically complex than that. I wish there was some, like, flow chart and graph of, like, well, you do this and you do this, you do this, you do this, everything lines up here, and then, like, it's like crazy cir- like infinity circle or whatever. It's really not that complicated, right? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again when our focus is on anything other than Jesus, we sink. When our focus is on anything other than Jesus, we sink. And when we, are, when we are with Jesus, when we are with Jesus, he himself becomes our peace. He himself is our peace. Take courage, it is I. Come to me. My prayer for you, my prayer for you, my prayer for you is that you would know where the fight in your life really is. Heavenly Father, may we no longer fight. No longer fight to just simply rearrange the circumstances of our lives so that somehow we feel better or do better or things work better or... We just get to the next step, Lord, because we will always be fighting, we will always be striving, we will always be struggling against this feeling of, I'm not at peace. I'm not at peace. I still don't have peace. What can I do to have peace? There's still no peace. This relationship is broken. This relationship is broken. I can't get out of my own head. I'm always feeling this. I'm always doing this, Lord. May we stop fighting the circumstances, Lord. And may we cling to you, our Savior. The promised one of Jesus Christ. who Who the Father has sent, full of grace and truth. To be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. Jesus, would you, you yourself, be Peace for us. May we put down our weapons, fighting against every circumstance of our life. Lord, may we pick up the peace of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.